Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel Myers. And this is week one of a brand new series. We are opening our Bibles and our study books to the book of Exodus this week. It is the second book in the Bible, and we are so excited. I love this book, and we're going to spend six weeks reading it. Week one, we are joined by the one and only Jen Wilkin. This is Jen's third guest appearance on the She Reads Truth podcast. She joined us last fall in the book of Deuteronomy and also for the book of Daniel a while back. Jen has a passion for biblical literacy and my goodness, Amanda, this episode just kind of blew my mind. It was so good. I don't I will not read the book of Exodus the same way again, which is what we want, right? Like we want to be lifelong learners of scripture. That's right. So I mean, Jen is an author and Bible teacher from Dallas, Texas, and y'all will want to hear what she has to say about Exodus. Let's get right to it. Jen Wilkin, welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast. Oh, it's so good to be on with you guys. This is not just your third episode with us. It's like you have this like annual appointment with us, 2020, <laughs> 2021, 2022. Maybe we can squeeze you in for two, I love two it. in 2022. Yeah. But I love also, this is not your first kickoff of a book of the Bible with us. No, I know. It's fun to get to do the kickoff. Thanks for uh, putting me on that part. I mean, you are a fun one to kick off with. Last fall, we kicked off Deuteronomy together. Here's the thing. You love biblical literacy. We love biblical literacy. So if we're going to start a book of the Bible, we start with where it's sitting, right? And you're right. so fun to listen to and talk with about those types of things. So here we go, kicking off the book of Exodus, a six-week series for the She's. Yes, We're going to do this, and we're going to have a good time. I love this book. It's so good. All right, Jen, tell mm. us. You love the book of Exodus. We know this about you. Mm-hmm. Like, specifically— Specifically, the book of Exodus. Okay. I like the book of Exodus because it is giving us a picture of a birth narrative. And Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times when we think about Exodus, we don't think about it in those terms. We actually know little bits and pieces of it. Like if you grew up in the church, you know the felt board stories. But the whole sweep of it is the story of the birth of the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And they're delivered into the wilderness where God does what you do with a newborn. He answers its cries with sustenance. And then he gives the law to that child. He trains up the child in the way that it should go. So I I love this story so much because the metaphor is very female. You know, we talk about all the time in, when we're reading the New Testament, or even just Christians say, I'm born again, or I was delivered yeah. from sin. But we don't always think about where those words are coming from. And those are words that are tied to birth. And, and we see that oh. birth narrative, not just here, but in multiple places in the Old Testament, but especially in Exodus. Okay, I love that. I think that like I had little pieces of that, but the way that you just explained uh, yeah. that feels new to me. It does me too. I love it so much. Okay, teach us more. There's more. Yeah. Uh, you want, me to, you want yes. me to say it out loud? I do. Um, first, they're delivered through a doorway of blood, yeah. and then they are washed in the waters of the Red Sea. Yeah, so— Jen. I, I mean, know. that's beautiful, I honestly. So Egypt— In Hebrew, it's Mizraim, and it means the narrow place. And so Mm -hmm. they basically are delivered from the narrow place into the broad place through doorways of blood and water uh, after 10 labor pains that we call the plagues. So, I mean, it's really 
It's really cool. I kind of want to just like close all of my notes in my book and just hear you talk about this for an hour because this is so interesting. Okay. Is everyone wow. now, like if you were excited about Exodus uh-huh. before. Or if you were sleepy, you are, you are awake you're now. You're awake now. Right. You're, you're awake, awake now. now. That's right. Mm-hmm. So the word Exodus comes from a Greek word that means departure or the road out. Mm -hmm. And so our study, our six-week study, if you all have your study books, you can see that we've divided the study into kind of two parts. So the, the road out is the first part, and then we'll have... For glory and beauty is the second part where they're in the wilderness. So the road out, you know, no surprise, is about the exodus, yeah, the exodus mm-hmm. from Egypt, this deliverance that you're talking about. And before we even talk about the need for deliverance from Egypt, Jen, why are God's people in Egypt? Yeah, well, if you look at the first word in Exodus, it says, in my translation, it says, these are the names of, but actually the first word of Exodus is and. It's just not Hmm. in our Bibles. Uh, Because you're meant to have turned the page from the last portion of Genesis right into the opening of Exodus. And at the end of Genesis, what we saw was Jacob's family going into Egypt during a time of famine with Joseph sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh, providing bread for the world. And so we get this strong typology of Christ in Joseph Mm -hmm. at the end of the book of Genesis. And then this is like, and now for the rest of the story, they had found safe haven. They had their own little area in Goshen that they're living in. Basically, this small seed of a nation has been implanted into Egypt. Egypt, where it is going to be fruitful and multiply. Wow. Wow. And so it begins, like you just said, Exodus begins where Genesis ends. And Mm -hmm. I never knew that about the word ant, you know, that it's like... Mm-hmm. A continuing story, even in the the, in the text, yeah, yeah. So it starts there, and it ends with the dedication of the tabernacle, right? And yeah. so, you know, and biblical dates are hard, <laughs> um, especially but, those early ones, <laughs> right? Yes. But um, we think that that would have been around like Joseph's death would have been around eighteen oh five BC, and then the building of the tabernacle in about fourteen forty five BC. So this is covering a span of like 360-ish years, a long time. But what's so interesting to me as I was reading it, you know how you you read books of the Bible and you read parts of books of the Bible, but then when you sit back down to read through them, like in broader swaths, I had just forgotten how much ground, like how much time is covered in just the first like chapter and a half (laughs) of Exodus. And then the rest of the book really is like the... slows down a it lot. It slows down a lot. And it's like a mm-hmm. we're zoomed out and like, okay, the text is just kind of catching us up. Like, here's what happened. Mm-hmm. Because you get that, the fruitful and multiplying, and what happens is they multiply so much and so much time mm-hmm. passes. We'll read that this experience they had with Egypt being a land of provision Mm-hmm. And safe haven actually completely turns around. Yeah. We'll read that in just a bit. Or now. Or now. Let's read it. Yeah. Or now. Or let's now. Go. Let's just do it. Yeah. 
Now, listen, if you have your study books, there's some really helpful front matter. We just buzzed right over it yeah. really quickly. But if you have your study books, you're going to want to read that front matter. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not an optional introduction to a book book. <laughs> this is like you're going to want. <laughs> you're going to want to know. Which all the authors in the room say, the introductions are not uh, they're not optional. You're no. supposed to read those. No. <laughs> um, but the readers in the room say, eh, maybe mm-hmm. not. So you're going to want to read that. And it's a six-week series, a yeah. six-week study. So if you don't have a book, you could still order it and get it and have it for most of the plan. It's only one week short of Lent. Yeah. That's so, yeah. true. And, yeah. and you're, you're saying in terms of length of the yeah. study. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, having spending six weeks, get the book. You're going to want it because also there are some really cool things. Even this week, we have this like chart about the 10 plagues that yes. you're supposed to like do all these worksheets and fill them in. So, for those of you nice. who love. A good like worksheet or a homework assignment. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm so excited. You're really gonna like it, and yeah. I really like. We'll talk about this later, but I really like the way that the reflection and response is structured in this study as well. So, as a reminder, every one of our reading plans has a study book that accompanies it. You can get them at shopshereadstruth.com. If you want to get the Exodus one, use the code Moses, and we'll give you 15% off any of the Exodus stuff. Yeah, in the shop. Okay, so moving on. Housekeeping adjourned. Um, (laughs) All right, let's read. There's so much that I want to read in this. And Rachel very kindly looked at me and went, You've marked too many things. We've marked too many things. We Mm -hmm, can't read all that. So mm -hmm. so we're going to do our best. That's the fun of this week, being a woman in the Word of God every day this week. Y'all will get to read every word of this. And so we'll just be selective. But how selective can one be in the beginning of Exodus? We will find out. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, Do we want to read from chapter one at all? Yes. Okay. I kind of want to read all of chapter one. It oh feels boy. so. This is what I was worried about. Uh-huh. This mm-hmm. is, listen, don't <laughs> ask, if you ask, I'm going to tell you. Jen, will you start mm-hmm. us in Exodus one? Maybe get us through fourteen, and then we'll pause. Exodus one, starting in verse one. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household: Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah; Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin; Dan and Naphtali; Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Mm. Mm. So when you said earlier that they were fruitful and they multiplied, they multiplied so much over such a period of time that they became a threat. Yeah, to Egypt right. and the story of Joseph and his esteem, the esteem that he held, it was it was all mm-hmm. forgotten. And the threat then, as we still see today, when there is a threat to power, there is often the response is oppression, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's right. and that's what happened. 
Yeah. We just came out of, just last week, we completed that This is the Church series, and we actually talk a little bit on one of the days about the church as a persecuted people and what it looks like Mm -hmm. in Scripture, the different Mm -hmm. places in Scripture where oppression often sort of finds God's people flourishing. And so this is a place where, like, we're seeing this, like, multiplication, rapid multiplication under Mm. oppression. Mm. Yeah. And God is fulfilling His covenant promise to Abraham that He said He would make him into a great nation. Yeah. And He's doing it. He's also said that He will bless those who bless Him and curse those who curse Him. And this will be a story about God cursing those who curse the line of Abraham. Yeah, that's exactly right. So then verse 15 from Exodus 1 says, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives— the first whose name was Shipra, and the second whose name was Pua. When you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. And if the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. So this is the beginning of sort of Moses being born under this edict of death, which Mm -hmm. foreshadows Mm -hmm. Jesus Mm -hmm. similarly. But what happens? Oh, verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt told them. They let the boys live. Mm. And so he notices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, why? <laughs> why are you doing this? And they, and they Feels say Feels like you're not doing like, what I asked you to do. And they say, mm-hmm. essentially, like, we can't. By the time we get there, they're so hardy that yeah. they just... <laughs> They've mm-hmm. already Those given babies birth. just come flying out. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, in verse 20 says, So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very numerous. Since the midwives feared God, He gave them families. Pharaoh then commanded all his people, You must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. So he doubles down and says... Mm-hmm we are going to squelch this people. Mm-hmm. We are going to mm-hmm. not just oppress them, we are going to get rid of them. This is an attempt, if there are no men, mm-hmm. you know, if there are no boys, then, I mean, this is an attempt at, is it fair to, I, I want to say this is an attempt at genocide. Mm-hmm. But I Well, don't, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an attempt to take, you know, the, the idea of the firstborn son is so significant in this ancient culture. And if you can take the firstborn son, then you're taking the future of a nation. Um, But there's also a great irony that's being set up here for us in this story. And this story, which honestly, if you think about like movies that are made about the book of Exodus, who starts here? Nobody. Where do they start? They start with Moses, right? And yet this story is actually, it's a little tableau for what's going to play out in the whole book of Exodus. Because what do you have? You have two representatives of Israel who shake their fist at Pharaoh and say, not on our watch, we will safely deliver Israel. Mm. And what do you see the whole book (laughs) doing? You have two other representatives. Basically, we will see Moses and Aaron in the role of of midwives delivering the nation of Israel out of bondage. And so this is where we first start to see this play out. But it's significant because these women are standing. If you look back, if you remember in Genesis, when everything goes badly in Genesis chapter 3, God says, I will put enmity between the Mm -hmm. woman and the serpent. You remember that? Yes. And so this is actually a scene where we see that playing out. And into the original audience, they would have picked up on it immediately. Because these women are in the presence of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is wearing a headdress that you're probably familiar with, right? Mm -hmm. And what? on his headdress. A cobra. A cobra. Yeah. Because Wajet, the snake god, protects Pharaoh. 
And so these women stand and shake their fists in the face of the snake god and say, we will preserve the righteous line. And so it's just, it's the coolest thing. And they lie to him too, right? Which is like, people get to this and they're like, well, you know, they should have saved the babies, but they shouldn't have lied because it's Uh wrong to lie. But they're in an ethical dilemma that we can all relate to. That's like that you would not say of the people who rescued Jews out of the Holocaust by means of deception that they did the wrong thing. They preserve Mm -hmm. life. And not only do they preserve life, but they use the serpent's tool against him because Satan is a liar. Mm -hmm. And so it's such an incredible scene. It's a typology that matters for the rest of Scripture. And so these women are this huge example to us. But then this statement down here at the end of verse 22, where he says, you shall cast the Hebrew sons into the Nile. And he could have just stopped there. But then there's this other phrase, but you shall let every daughter live. And which means we should perk up our ears and go, "Uh uh-oh, I think daughters might be significant in this part of the book. So we've Mm. already had two daughters of Israel who have stood up and been brave. Then we get to chapter two and we see three more daughters who are very brave. Yes. Yeah. We see another tableau for the rest of the book, this Moses being placed in the Nile. And Mm -hmm. you all are going to want to read every word of this. (laughs) I will concede and say we do not have to read every word right now. You're showing such restraint, Thank you. Thank you so much. My weakness is I love Scripture too much. Is that right? It's like if we're sharing (laughs) our strengths and weaknesses. That's a really good job interview. My weakness is I I care too much. I care too much. I just care Um, too much. That's Mm -hmm. right. So Moses is born, and you all may remember the story from a felt board in your past, (laughs) if you're as old as I am. But Mm -hmm. his mom places him in a basket, and she does put him in the Nile, but she puts him in a basket, Mm -hmm. and she like hides Mm -hmm. him in the reeds and, and sets his sister. So here's question. Is this Miriam or is that we just don't know? Maybe he had other sisters. Oh, I just want it to be Miriam. I want it to be Miriam too, but I don't Do we know. Not? I think it's Miriam. Okay. I think no, so. Why we would we not give her We've credit? not met any other Miriam or any other of Moses' yeah. sisters. So you all will meet. You'll yeah. meet Miriam later, mm-hmm. but maybe you're meeting mm-hmm. her now. Mm-hmm. So she stands mm-hmm. at a distance and, and watches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jochebed is Moses' mama. We don't get her name here. We get it later. Yes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So Miriam, we think, watches from a distance to see that he's safe. And who finds him but Pharaoh's daughter? And she does mm-hmm. a brave thing. Yeah. She, I love the detail. Speaking of daughters. Yes. <laughs> I love. Daughters. Yeah. I love the detail that he was crying mm. because you can imagine how that tugged mm-hmm. at her heart. And it says she felt sorry for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. So she knew Mm-hmm. That it that this was a Hebrew mm-hmm. child, and she certainly knows her father's orders, right? But mm-hmm. she takes him, and so Miriam, we think, or you know, his sister Moses' mm-hmm. sister comes out and says, "Do you want me to go find a Hebrew woman to nurse him?" And mm-hmm. she's like, "Yes, do that." Oh, honestly, what a great idea! What a great idea! And so she goes <laughs> and gets her mom. Yeah, the Moses baby's mom. mother mm-hmm. gets to take him and nurse him, and then he's returned mm-hmm. to the palace. Mm-hmm. And so Pharaoh, who basically has assessed that daughters are of no threat to his plans, mm-hmm. now by the subterfuge of daughters, the one who will free the nation of Israel is now being raised in his own household. I just love it. His own daughter. <laughs> yeah, so, his own daughter. Mm-hmm. So, so good. I love that note. Yeah. Also, in chapter two, there is this story of Moses grown up and like in Pharaoh's household mm-hmm. and... I I mean, truly just having this like tug in his spirit of like for justice and Mm -hmm. for the people of Israel. We don't know a ton about, 
I don't think that Moses was, you know, grew up into adulthood as like a good Jewish boy. Like, I don't think that he grew up. We know he was with his mama for like a little bit of time, but maybe two years. But he was otherwise raised in Pharaoh's household. Mm -hmm. Certainly he knew that he was an Israelite. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't have the, the teaching or the, yeah, go ahead. Well, we don't know. We don't know how long he would have been with Jochebed in in the household. But what we can tell from what happens in the scene where he kills the Egyptian is that he has a strong sense of his national identity. Yeah. That he even understands himself to be someone who is a deliverer. Mm-hmm. Now, it's the wrong time and the wrong means, but he yes. understands that the people of his origin are oppressed. Yeah, that's yeah. good. At the end of chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, After a long time, the king of Egypt died. So at this point, Moses is married um, that, that, and has a, lot a son. Happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're telling you. Lot, when lot it happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> fast forwards, like champ through some of this. After mm-hmm. a long time, which is putting it lightly, the king mm-hmm. of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. They cried out, and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and God knew. Mm, I love Um, that. And so this story of the book of Exodus, that is one of the themes, that God doesn't just see and hear and know his people, Mm -hmm. but that he responds Mm -hmm. and he acts. acts, Yeah. Yeah. I can't help but point out that you just read a bunch of labor language there. I know. The groaning and the crying out. You I will never now. read this and book again. And the word again. labor repeatedly. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Jen, you've already changed the way that we read the book of Exodus. And we're only on day one. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and so in chapter three. So that that was all day mm-hmm. one, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Whew, buckle up, everybody. <laughs> and so now begins sort of like a four-chapter series of Moses's call. Like mm-hmm. in chapter three, we're getting this like initial call at the burning bush. Chapter four, like he returns to Egypt and like that's part of the call. Then in chapter five, this unsuccessful encounter with Pharaoh. And then by chapter six, like the call gets renewed in the Egyptian setting. So that's sort of what's happening in the next four chapters. It is an extended call, Mm -hmm. and really with every sort of argument or excuse that Moses gives, God responds with, you know, like a promise of presence and like, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm with you. This is not me sending you alone. This is me going with you, which we'll we'll get Mm -hmm. later when Moses talks to God about like, if you're not going, I'm not going, (laughs) right? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also, I do think it's worth pointing out here that when Moses stands at the burning bush and God articulates exactly what he wants him to do, Moses does not run and do it immediately. Right. Because I think a lot of us have told ourselves, if God would just tell me what to do, I would do it. (laughs) Easy. Uh, Yeah. And yet, (laughs) Moses gets in this scene exactly what we all say we would want. An actual burning bush with the voice of God. mm -hmm. And there, and, and five times. Five times Moses goes, well, I don't know if I can do this, mm-hmm. as though the whole thing relies on him. And five times God responds essentially by saying, I am, like that, you know, right. actually, you're not the center of this story. 
it's a really cool scene. And I think it's instructive for us too, because here's uh-huh. honestly, here's the way we would respond to Moses when he goes, but who am I that I should go into Egypt? We'd be like, oh no, hey, hey, you look right at me. Now you've got this, you know, like you're an Enneagram three and you're in stress right now, but we're going to get you healthy and send you on in there. And and God has none you of that. He does, not reassure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does not reassure Moses that he is enough. He basically says, I am over and over again. Mm-hmm. I think about that a lot, you yeah. know, about how, that's so good. Sometimes even the way that we try to encourage one another to obedience is something other than saying, you know what? The Lord is strong to deliver and okay. uh, you should turn your eyes to him. We I immediately to turn to affirmations. Yeah. Affirmations yeah. of each other rather than affirmations yeah. of who God is. Yeah. I mean, here in Exodus, Exodus chapter three, verse 11, but Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to mm-hmm. Pharaoh and that I mm-hmm. should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Mm-hmm. And God answered, I will certainly be with you. Yeah. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. God's response is not, well, I'll tell you who you are. You're special. Right. <laughs> You're a precious son of the king. <laughs> You're, my no, <laughs> You're a yeah. special boy. You're mm-hmm. a special boy. And he was mm-hmm. a special was boy, special. but that was not the point. Yeah. That was not the point. That's right. There's a phrase in this exchange, you know, which goes on for a while (laughs) between Mm -hmm. God and Moses, where God says to him, I have paid close attention to you. He says, this is what he is supposed to go and say Mm. to the people. But imagine what Mm -hmm. this must have felt like for them to hear that a message from the Lord, the God of their ancestors, I have paid close attention to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt, Mm -hmm. that he is Mm -hmm. seeing this. And and I have promised that I will bring you up from this misery, now Mm -hmm. I'm starting to paraphrase, Mm -hmm. into the land that I've promised you. And I further promise that I am going to do this. Like I further promise when I stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all of my miracles, I will perform in it. After that, he will let you go. Like there's just these repeated promises. Mm -hmm. Okay, before we get into chapter four, there's this thing that happens right at the end of chapter three that feels like, I know y'all will read this, but it feels really significant because there was a lot of time in my life where I didn't notice this little section. So right after I just read to y'all from verse 20, in verse 20 where he says, but when I stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles that I will perform in it, after that he will let you go. After that it says, and I will give these people such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty handed. Each woman will ask her neighbor and any woman staying in her house for silver and gold jewelry and clothing and you will put them on your sons and daughters, so you will plunder the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. It's this like significant, it's like this peaceful plundering. But that is like, if you ever wondered when you read the book of Exodus, like, well, where did they get all that gold for the yeah. golden calf or all of that gold for the tabernacle and all of the beautiful things and the clothing? Like, where did they resource mm-hmm. all of that? This is the answer to that. This yeah, is God going, right. here's what you're going to need for the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool, which Uh also makes the story of the golden calf extra awful because the first thing they do with it is use it for idolatrous purposes. But it gets better after that. Because these were the supplies for the tabernacle. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's right. Mm -hmm. So speaking of provision... There's so many details. Jen, you're going to have to help us. We got to, you got to keep going. We're doing but, great. But when Moses <laughs> says, surely not me, like, what if it doesn't go well, essentially? Mm-hmm. And the Lord asked him, What's that in your hand? And Moses says, A staff. <laughs> and so he proceeds to have him throw his staff down and it becomes 
a serpent. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of how, you know, it's really difficult on some of these passages not to go straight to application because Mm -hmm. I see myself, like I understand Moses, (laughs) but also I see like how the Lord, like Moses already has the things that he needs. Like the the very thing that he's holding in his hand mm-hmm. is what God will use, and his cloak, mm-hmm. and his you know. Anyway, and yeah. also there's another serpent. You're that's exactly right. I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Why does the staff turn into a serpent? It's the staff represents his authority, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you see it. It is it, it cracks me up because it says he threw it on the ground. This is verse three of chapter four. He threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it, which is exactly what's happening is he fears Pharaoh more than God. And what did you see? Mm. You saw the Hebrew midwives feared God more than Pharaoh. And Mm. that's the theme that you'll see throughout these Old Testament books is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you fear God more than the Pharaohs? The turn that Moses has to make is to fear God more than Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. But the serpent there, when he's able to pick it up and it turns back into a staff, it will be a demonstration to Pharaoh of who is in charge. Yeah. Oh, we also have a little leprosy story in there about his hand getting all weird when he puts it in and out of his, yeah. And you can count in that passage the number of times that hand is mentioned, because what's set up there for us is the contrast between the hand of Moses and the hand of God by which things will be accomplished. It's basically, it's not by your hand that these things will be done. It's by my hand. Yes. Yes. So good. And yet still we get another, please send somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> just please. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather not. Yeah. <laughs> just, I, 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 I hear all of this and uh-huh. also please don't make me. Uh-huh. It's so gracious, I think, of the Lord to, speaking of already having what you need, he already had his big brother, Aaron, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and Aaron was going to go with him, and they were going to do this together, mm-hmm. and um, and I can I can only imagine that that was a relief. Yeah, and so that <laughs> yeah. is in verse 14. You know, Amanda, you just said you were reading verbatim. You weren't being silly when it said, Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Yeah. And then verse 14, mm-hmm. then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And also he is on the way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak and will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you and you will serve as God to him and take the the staff in your hand that you will perform signs with it. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of like mm-hmm. Aaron's calling. Well, and like we read that and we're like, ooh, God got angry. And I'm like, right <laughs> after this really long, like he could have, he would have been completely within his rights to just zap Moses on the spot the first yeah. time he objects. Never um, mind, I choose someone else. <laughs> he, yeah, but you know, he's going to say in this book, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, slow yeah. to anger. And so that's actually what we're seeing before he announces himself as such in words, he mm-hmm. does it indeed, mm-hmm. which is, I think, so lovely. And his like extended compassion is first demonstrated with Moses and then demonstrated mm-hmm. with the people with of the Israel. People. Absolutely, yep. Let me show you how slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love I am right. first in your life. Because right. you're going to see this later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey friends, I want to take a quick break to tell you about one of our podcast sponsors, August Cloth. 
Now listen, I am just not a good shopper. When it comes to finding new clothes, I feel like I just endlessly search for clothes that fit well, that feel amazing, and that give me the effortless style that I really want to wear. And so essentially, I just feel like I need someone to do the shopping for me. Can you relate to that at all? (laughs) This is why I'm excited to tell you about one of our favorite online boutiques. August Cloth is owned by a fellow she who reads truth named Crystal, and we've been browsing their spring and summer collections, and let me tell you, I felt instant relief because Crystal and her team curate collections that allow us to shop easily and just love what we live in. They even offer video try-ons in multiple sizes for every new style so you can see what the clothes are really going to look like on you. I mean, how great is that? Even more than cute clothes, Crystal is a fellow adoptive mama. You know that means a lot to me. And she's passionate about caring for women and children in crisis. And so August Cloth partners with local foster care agencies or pregnancy centers every year to provide support to families in need. So when you shop at August Cloth, you get to be a part of that too. So essentially, what I'm saying to you is you need to check this out. After the show, jump on to augustcloth.com and use our listener discount for 15% off. The code is SRT15. And you can also follow August Cloth on Instagram or Facebook at August Cloth in new collection shop every Thursday. So that's augustcloth.com and use the discount code SRT15 for 15% off your purchase. All right, back to the show. Turn the page to the day three reading. We're still in chapter four. Moses, you know, goes and tells his father-in-law, um, let me return to your relatives in Egypt. Jethro says, go in peace. So at this point, Moses has a wife and a son. Yeah. we. I know we covered on. that, but it's just <laughs> funny to me because we don't ever like think about Moses as like a family man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he does. <laughs> and he says in verse 14, now in Midian... The Lord told Moses, return to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. Mm -hmm. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, (laughs) that feels significant, (laughs) and returned to the land of Egypt. So he took his family. Mm -hmm. And Moses, I love this detail, and Moses took God's staff in his hand. Mm -hmm. Now, we Mm -hmm. recently did a study on the armor of God Mm -hmm. and how it is God's armor Mm -hmm. that we wear. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Not ours. Mm-hmm. And so I love this, that the word says that Moses took God's staff. Yeah. That it's God who is doing the equipping here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he tells him that, and he kind of, it's like a spoiler alert, right? Except only partially. <laughs> because he says, <laughs> the Lord instructed Moses, when you go back to Egypt, make sure you do before Pharaoh all the wonders that I've put within your power. But I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. And you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel, my firstborn son, I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. Look, I am about to kill your firstborn son. And you just talked about God's patience, Mm -hmm. essentially, Mm -hmm. Rachel. And so it says, I am about to kill your firstborn son, but that's the final plague. Yeah. Yeah. And so to see the Lord's patience... Mm I'm probably majoring on a minor here, but the donkey detail, it's really interesting to me because you think about other like donkey rides in the Bible, how like they're really tied to very important salvific events. Like this is like Mm -hmm. Moses, like leading his family into Egypt to rescue them. For the salvation of God's people. For the salvation of God's people, not to rescue them, but for God Mm -hmm. to rescue them. But then we have, of Mm -hmm. course, Joseph and Mary, like 
headed to Bethlehem, and then Jesus Mm -hmm. on a donkey headed into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It feels significant to me, yeah? Yes. Mm -hmm. Deliverers on donkeys, yep, absolutely. Deliverers on donkeys. I think decidedly, Mm -hmm. yes, that is significant. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's majoring on a minor. I think that is major. And so by chapter 5, Moses Mm -hmm. is 80 years old. Like we've okay. I'm sorry. I'm throwing the flag. Is that wrong? No, no you guys skipped forward. one of the best scenes in the whole book. Yeah, you gotta go back. <laughs> oh gosh, sorry, <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> pull it back. Pull it back. Zipporah, Zipporah is about to have a starring role here because you had deliverers on donkeys, right? And yes. then we find out, and here's the funniest. Part oh yes, about please. This story Thank you. For me, I'm so sorry. Is that like? What did God just say? He said, everybody who wanted to kill you is dead. That's what he just said. So get on Mm. your donkey and go back to Egypt. And then we find out there is still someone who will kill him. And it's God. Yeah. Because Moses has neglected a faithful witness as an Israelite. He has not had his son circumcised. If you're ever looking for female deliverers in the Bible, Zipporah actually is one in this scene because she parts flesh and sheds blood that ends up sparing the life of Moses. And so mm-hmm. it's a weird scene. You know, we're like, scene. what's sure. happening? Yes. Flint knife, circumcision on the road, you know, whatever. But but you're seeing there all of the elements of offering a sacrifice that is a means of deliverance for someone. And so basically, he's we've, we saw that Moses is born of the tribe of Levi, which we would hear significance in because we know he's not just in a deliverer role. He is also a priest, yes. right? Yes. So we're going to have prophet, priest, and king all rolled up in Moses as a type of Christ. But because he is a type and not Christ himself, now we're going to see the priest cannot offer the sacrifice. The priest cannot perform his duty unless he has first consecrated himself. And there's something remaining here to be done before he's ready for the work. Yeah. And he can't consecrate himself. Yeah. No. So full disclosure... I was going to skip that too. I thought you were referring to coming back to something. Well, partly because, and so I'm grateful. Amanda honestly. doesn't like to talk about foreskins on the ground. The or, Weird. Oh, I thought you were going to say on the uh-huh. air. Uh-huh. I mean, also that. Also uh-huh. on the air. Um, and so we are sorry about that. No, but I don't I, like to talk about them at all, but yeah. But here we are. But here, here we are. But I'm grateful that you point out the significance of that. Uh, um, very grateful. Right. Like the female because, deliverer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure this this is like an, an Old Testament thing and not just an Ezekiel thing, but mm-hmm. because we just spent so much time <laughs> in Ezekiel not too long ago, when Pharaoh, when Moses first confronts Pharaoh, which you're correct, we find out in a couple of chapters that he was 80 yeah, and Aaron was 83. Mm-hmm. I think it was in chapter 7 that we find out. But mm-hmm. they go to him and they say they make the request that the Lord told them to make, which was Mm -hmm. let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. So Mm -hmm. they're asking for permission to leave and go worship. Mm -hmm. And this is Exodus 5, 2. But Pharaoh responded, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. And so what echoed in my mind as I read that was, and they will know that I'm the Lord. In Exodus, it Mm -hmm. actually says that Mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. But isn't that what... The Lord is doing in the Old Testament that He is for His people and for all the nations to know, yes, that He is the Lord. That's so, and the thing that again we forget to remember that the God of Israel is not at this time widely known. 
maybe I don't know exactly how, but like his reputation grows as as the people of Israel grow and as his works continue. And I mean, even mm-hmm. these like the ten signs, the ten plagues are like mm-hmm. I think one of the purposes of that is that the name of God would be widely known. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I love mm-hmm. that connection to Ezekiel and just it's an Old Testament connection, but Ezekiel right. as well. Just that they would know that I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is significant because we've already heard what is a very difficult verse for a lot of people where God says he will harden Pharaoh's heart. And people right. read that and they're like, whoa, what? What does that mean? Um, but yeah. we need to understand how people's hearts are hardened. The Lord becomes known. And either mm-hmm. you fall on the rock or you are crushed by the rock, to borrow from prophetic language later mm-hmm. on in the Old Testament. And so either in the knowledge of the Lord hardens you further because you reject it or you're crushed by it because you repent. Mm -hmm. And so what we will see with Pharaoh is not God like doing something to harden his heart. What God will do is he will reveal his character and his right to rule. And Pharaoh's response will consistently be, I reject your right to rule. Who are you? I don't know who you are. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is not God like saying, and now I'm going to just do this to make you an example. Although I don't want to say that God is not making him an example because he absolutely is. But the only thing required to harden a human heart is to leave it to its own devices. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. And so when Moses goes, I mean, we're going to have to start, you know, hitting fast forward here a little bit, but like <laughs> when he goes and I mean, that's, that's what happened. You know, the Pharaoh's heart is hard and the Lord has the, the title of this reading day in the study is the Lord promises freedom. And, mm-hmm. and so he has, and, and Moses tells the people that, and what he feared is what happens. They don't believe him. Yeah. It says, Mm -hmm. and this is chapter 6, verse Mm -hmm. 6, Therefore, this is the Lord speaking, Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Mm -hmm, Again, mm -hmm. (laughs) it says that Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. And I'm going to be honest with y'all, I get that Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's hard to look past your circumstances and the immediate effects of your circumstances. We talk a lot about zooming out, zooming in, and having perspective it's hard to have perspective in that kind of a situation. Especially because, you know, what we didn't read, what y'all will read on day three, is that, like, with Moses' first, like, interaction with Pharaoh, further oppression for Israel is what his response was. Like, he said, like, listen, you have this, right. this quota of bricks that you have to make every day, and we provide the materials for that. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're going to actually not provide the materials, but the quota is not going to change. So you mm-hmm. actually have to both gather the materials and make the bricks. And so Israel's just going, like, why? Like, could you just, like, leave well enough alone? Which is Israel's sort of, right. like, echo throughout Exodus in That's a lot right. of ways. Like, not only, like, why would you do this? Because our lives are harder now. But even once they get to Israel, they go, like, can we just go back to the leaks in Egypt, you know? Mm-hmm. But when that happens, the thing with the straw and the bricks, Moses says to God, 
why have you caused trouble for this people? This is back in (laughs) in chapter Mm 5, verse 22. And Mm -hmm. why did you ever send me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's caused trouble for this people, people who already were having trouble, right? What else did he say? And then he says, and you haven't rescued your people at all. At all. At all. You haven't rescued your people at all. It reminds me of in the New Testament, in the boat with the disciples say, like, don't you care that we're going to die? That we're perishing. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that the hallmark of human steadfastness faltering are two phrases. This is harder than I thought, and it's taking longer than I expected. Yeah. Those are the two things that cause us to question the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. This is harder than I thought. This is taking longer than I expected. Yeah. And I think that's what we'll see in this story. And let's not let God off the hook here. God doesn't have to put on the whole pageant of the 10 plagues. He could have just walked them right out. Mm -hmm. And so we need to understand that often when our difficult times are harder than we thought and take longer than we expected, it is because what the Lord intends to do through them is going to be such a compelling statement Mm -hmm. of who He is that it will be worth it, uh, even though we can't see that. Mm-hmm. To me, this feels like, I mean, whether you've had a baby yourselves or like been with a friend who's had a baby or whatever, like it's the moment where you get checked and you haven't dilated any. Like it's the moment where you're like, this is harder than I <laughs> yeah. thought. And this is like, there's no progress. You haven't saved us at all. Yeah. What is all of this for? Mm-hmm. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, it's mm-hmm. that like, I see, I've done my part. I see no sign of progress mm-hmm. and I've been doing mm-hmm. all the things that I've been expected that well, have been expected of me. Especially when you have suffered mm-hmm. yeah. for generations. Yeah. I mean, they weren't having a bad mm-hmm. year. No. They were no. in yeah. 400 years of oppression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so here, you know, God has come and said, "I am going to deliver you." And Moses is like, "I don't want to do this." He does it anyway, and it gets worse. Mhm. And Mm -hmm. so there they are, Mm -hmm. you know, it's both easy Mm -hmm. sometimes to like wag my finger at Israel throughout the Old Testament and say, what is wrong with you people? And also, it's really easy for me to think, Mm -hmm. yep, (laughs) I get that. Mm -hmm. Oh, shoot. Uh (laughs) Shooty, shooty, shoot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Actually, that's a really important skill that we need for reading Old Testament narrative is that we want to go, how should I be like Moses? Right. But the best place for us to look, if we want this to train us the way that it intends to, is to say, what's Israel doing? And how am I like that? And mm-hmm. so that's, that's actually a really good skill that you're articulating. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, for the remaining two days of this week, days four and five, we finish up chapter six, but then begin the plagues. And the plagues, we won't even finish the plagues this week. It's Those are spread really over chapters seven through 12. So we'll read some of the plagues this week in days four and five. We get but, six, I think. But then, um, sorry, Jen, we don't get the payoff of the... <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a bummer of an ending of the week's reading, honestly. <laughs> I mean, and we'll we'll read kind of the final... I mean, I'm going to just fast forward and read to y'all that after six plagues, I mean, we'll we'll talk about the plagues, don't worry. But the last verse of Exodus that we will read this week mm-hmm. is Exodus 9:12 where it says, and this is six plagues later, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart <laughs> and he did not listen to them as the Lord mm-hmm. had told Moses. Yeah. And then we break for the weekend, <laughs> you know, like it's it will keep going. <laughs> we but, break for the let's break for the let's weekend. break for the week. Everybody's working for the weekend. Yeah. Peace be with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so yeah. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks, yeah. thanks be to God. Yes. But mm-hmm. I mean, going back, let's let's plagues. actually talk about the plagues. Jen, 
knowing that you have really like kind of been elbow deep or more in the book of Exodus, will you set up the plagues for us a little bit? Yeah. So one of the things we have to keep in view about the purpose of writing the book of Exodus is what it will be needed for in the life of the nation of Israel. And so when the book is written, we think that it's written during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and it is given to the children of Israel as they are coming out of Egypt and heading into Canaan, right? So they're in the in-between space at the Mm -hmm. time that this book is being written. And so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they are written to give the nation of Israel Israel roots to tell them where they came from, but also to give them shoots to help them with where they're going. And when you look at where they came from, they come from polytheistic Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. Where there are a myriad of gods. And these gods, they require labor without rest. They are the antithesis of Yahweh. They require sacrifice for the sparing of your life, but not in the way that we will see it depicted when we get to the building of the tabernacle. They are hard to please, right? And they have a lot to do with whether your family starves or lives through any particular cycle of harvest. And so when the 10 plagues are set up, they are to demonstrate that Yahweh is the one true God. When they get to the other side of the Red Sea, the first words on their lips when they sing is, who is like our God among Mm. the nations? And what the 10 plagues are saying is, no one. That's right. Not only that, but what we will see is when we get to the 10 commandments, I don't want to get too far ahead, but you have 10 plagues and then guess what? You have 10 commandments. Coincidence? I think not. And what is the first commandment? You will have no other gods before me. Mm -hmm. That's right. And why is that? Because he has just demonstrated that there are no other gods. Not just that you shouldn't put other gods in front of him, but that those gods are a fiction. They do not exist. And so each of the 10 plagues is targeting a particular Egyptian deity and showing that God is sovereign over what that deity has been credited with. It's a really cool display. And what they will need it for is not just for every time God references, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. So that they can go, oh, right, right, right. I remember those 10 plagues. But also because he's the God who is going to bring them into Canaan, where there will be a whole other set of gods who present along much the same lines. And what will be the command? Don't get into that. You stick with the one true God. And so they need these 10 plagues so that they will remember. And, And what do we see them do over and over again? They forget. And you'll even see them pray later on in Deuteronomy. They'll say, please don't send the plagues of Egypt on us. Mm. God actually has to at one point to remind Mm. them. They just keep forgetting and forgetting and forgetting. Yeah. That was a downer of a way to end that part. No, that was great. I think, I mean, (laughs) truly. And it's beautiful to watch as we read about these 10 plagues that— we see the, like I'm air quoting, like this power struggle between God and Pharaoh, because that is not a struggle for God at all. But Pharaoh is struggling with his power and feeling and this false sense of authority or power. And even like, you know, there are times where like he'll like bring in his magicians and they'll try and do a similar trick, you know. And a lot of times they can. And sometimes they can. And sometimes they're so Mm. afflicted by the plague that they're not even able to RSVP with a yes. Like they can't come because they're so plagued. Mm-hmm. With the third plague, specifically the gnats, yeah. the plague of the gnats, it says that the magicians try, this is in chapter 8, this is verse 18, the magicians tried to produce gnats using their occult practices, but they could not. The gnats remained on people and animals. This is the finger of God, the magician said to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. 
So sometimes, and it and it clarifies. Scripture clarifies that like the sorcerers and magicians would do this thing too, using their occult practices, mm-hmm. right? Which again reminds me of our mm-hmm. armor of God study that there's a spiritual battle, mm-hmm. and the spiritual realm is real. The enemy is not powerless. Mm-hmm. You know, like the enemy does, he has tricks up his sleeve. He shows right? up at the battle. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But that, and then this is when they say this is the finger of God in the text, it's a capital G God, mm-hmm. you know, and it reminds mm-hmm. me of like mm-hmm. even the demons know. Like mm-hmm. they know mm-hmm. that's good. God because the Lord is revealing himself. Yeah. Well, and that a false God, wherever it inhabits our lives, it will at first be able to give the appearance of the one true God. Mm-hmm. But over further examination and mm-hmm. further pressing and pressing and pressing, its falsehood will be revealed. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're not going to read the plagues because that's what you will get to do, listeners, this week. But, Jen, because you are our favorite person to have come and kick off a book of the Bible, and you've done such a beautiful <laughs> job this week or for this for Exodus as well, I know that you said, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I love when mm-hmm. you, like biblical literacy is, is your jam, and I love that. And so as we you know wind down in our time right now, I would love for you to just kind of give our listeners a like— here's what to look for in the rest of the book of Exodus, mm-hmm. sort of a, like a here's what's coming, here's what to tune your ears for. Could you share that with us? Yeah. Well, so we'll see what is a really important concept for biblical theology, a theme that you see repeated throughout the scriptures in the book of Exodus. And that is a story of being essentially as good as dead in bondage to a pharaoh and then delivered through blood and water Mm -hmm. to be raised on the other side to new life, and then to be given God's good law to show us how we ought to live God's way in God's world, and then to enjoy the presence of God in light of that. And so when you're reading the book of Exodus, remember that it's their story and it's our story. Mm-hmm. This is the story of anyone who has been called into salvation, is that you were dead in sin, you were a slave to sin, as we read in Paul's epistles in Romans 6.16, 6, then you are dead to sin and alive to Christ. You are brought out of that. And so there's a reason that God's law is not given to God's children while they're still in Egypt. How can they possibly obey the law of God while they are in bondage to Pharaoh? And so once they are called out of bondage, he gives them the good law to show them the way that they should live. The same is true of us. We obey God's law when we are able, once we have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to look back over our shoulders and say, wasn't it better in Egypt? And what does Jesus say? You cannot serve two masters. You must serve the God of light. That is the kingdom of light that you are in. So the book is setting up for us the themes that we will see throughout the rest of the Bible and that are the story of our own salvation. And when we find ourselves looking over our shoulder and thinking, wasn't it better back there? We Mm -hmm. have the God of all generations saying to us, you know, it wasn't better. We've Mm -hmm. kept a faithful record Mm -hmm. for you in the book of Exodus and then all the way through the rest of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament as well. Do you think you're smarter than Israel? Do you think you're smarter than me? And do you think that you're a better ruler of your own life than I am? Uh, And the answer, of course, is no. Why would we want that? We have the true and better Moses in Christ. And so we can know that the Lord who protected and equipped and guided Israel is Mm -hmm. the very God who will provide and equip and protect us as well. 
Amen. 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 Thank beautiful. you for that. Which, you know, concludes week one of the Exodus series. Jen, thank you for, you are an excellent guest, if I do say so myself. <laughs> A thank plus. You, thank you so much for joining us. Well, you did ask me about one of my favorite things, so yeah. <laughs> don't ask me to come do Leviticus. <laughs> uh, that's coming. It's that coming. coming in a couple of, in like, Get next ready, month, everybody. maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it is. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. We will, we will open the book of Leviticus together soon. But next week, we have Margaret Feinberg joining us to talk about week two in our Exodus series. So y'all come back and listen to that. But until next week, Jen, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. Thank you.